To commemorate this first Dayton Flyers episode of the College Basketball Stories, we'll be giving away a few podcast koozies with the Flyers logo. To support us and enter your name into the koozie drawing, all you have to do is spend a minute to do three simple steps. First, give us a five-star rating and review. Second, take a screenshot of that review. And third, DM that screenshot to our Twitter account at the CBB Stories. We'll be giving away some koozies on Friday, July 9th. If you're enjoying our show, but you're not a Dayton fan, please still take a moment to drop us a rating and review. If you send us a screenshot of that review, you can recommend your team for an episode. These are the tales of college basketball past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on- and off-court moments, memories of personal fandom, catastrophe, and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. And I'm Pat. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the College Basketball Stories. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Drew. And my name is Sully, and we are in charge of Talking Out Loud podcast, and we're going to tell you the story of the 1966 and 67 Dayton Flyers. Um, and thanks for having us on, fellas, because this is this is a good time. I, I think I prepared a little bit too much for this one, because um, normally I'd have like, some shitty booze in my fridge. But, um, you know, tonight I actually had a nice dinner with, like, nice cocktails and, and good bourbon. So it's um, – I don't know, Drew. I think I might be a little bit more on point than normal. But we do have mm. a lot of rust to shake off to, to kind of get back into the podcast game. It's been a few months, man. It has been a few months. It's good to be back behind the microphone uh, having having a, a drink or two uh, and talking some Dayton hoops uh, with, some, with some fellow Flyer alum. Yeah, because it, it wasn't fun. Um, towards the end of the past season, and and if sure you're listening was. to this, like yeah, you probably watched the the last season at least to some degree until you you got so frustrated you gave up on them. Um, but it wasn't always that way, Drew. Right? Like we we had good times. At one point, it was us. You know, it was the Dayton Flyers. But I would be remiss to say that it's been our time more than once because it it has only been our time as a program once. And, uh, and we're going to take, you know, listeners down memory lane to get there, right? Uh, yeah, I've got so many takes on the 66-67 Dayton Flyers. You guys are not going to believe it. <laughs> Your research takes for this one? Just, just, just reaching back into the archives of when I didn't even live. And I'm, gonna get, I'm just going to bring some spiciness to the table tonight. Like, for example, like we're just going to jump a little bit almost to the end about when Dayton beats North Carolina. Like, was Dean Smith overrated in 67? Next up on first take. <laughs> That's what's going on. If they could beat be. North Carolina by fourteen in '67, you, you know it's funny. Like I started this, um, and I, I guess most listeners probably have some kind of context if you're listening because you care about the Dayton Flyers. But um, I started my podcast like five years ago, and then like year two, I was like, you know what, we really need is like a history of Dayton basketball podcast. And like any anybody that half-asses things in life, I started to put it together, and then ultimately I just kind of like fizzled out, and now it's just like a folder in my computer. And to look back at like the context of the program 
in the 50s and 60s, um, especially with the information that we have now, is kind of interesting because, um, you know, in the 50s, or, or let's let's say I always start dating basketball as like era or like their history at the end of World War Two, because before that, you're basically talking about like, you know, guys throwing fucking rubber yeah. balls into peach baskets. You know what I mean? Like it's too far back. Right? Sure. I think me and you talk Agreed. about this all the time, Drew, right? Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So it's easy for Dayton because in 49, that's where Tom Blackburn got there. And that was kind of when the program was born, right? Like we just kind of have this very convenient alignment with the end of World War II and then like the program taking shape as we know it today. And Dayton did so many things right um, to become like the program they are today, but they did a lot of things wrong too. Thankfully, this was kind of before the era, uh, you know, where they were, they're getting some things wrong. Um, so, you know, to back up, uh, when they, they built the field house, which was like post-World War II, like around the 50s, people around Dayton were like, you know what? Like, it's not going to work to have an arena full of people watching basketball. It's just not going to work. And then it did work. They packed it, right? And then when they built the arena, they were like, hey, this arena is too big. This is never going to work. 13,000 people are not going to watch fucking college basketball and guys that shoot like London Warren out here, you know? <laughs> and it, sure enough, it ended up working, right? So Dayton's had all these, like, checkpoints through their history where we've become, like, as relevant as we have. And frankly, you know, no checkpoint was really as important as that, that 67 season. Um, Drew, was that, like, a, an adequate preamble, do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree with everything you said. Plus, it, you know, I love claiming achievements that did not happen when I was alive. As a Cleveland Browns yeah. fan, I do it literally all the You're time. All I'm all about that. And so I always love telling people, and I especially love this to say this to all the Xavier people, is that they haven't made a Final Four. It's like, yeah, but we have. We made, we made yeah. it to the National Championship game, and that's something Xavier still to this day can't say. You can look it up. Look it up in the, in the record books. It's going to say Final Fours, Dayton, one. Xavier, zero. And so you do get that like air of legitimacy, even if it didn't happen, you know, if it happened 60 years ago or whatever it it may be. But it does give your program that air of legitimacy. And like you said, Dayton, you know, took some speed bumps to get there, but by and large have taken all the right avenues to get the program to where it's at today. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, kind of, like, we went off track and had a detour in, like, the Jim O'Brien era. Yeah, we had a bad pit stop. It happens. Yeah, we did. Yeah, go look it up, people. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so, so, like, if we're backing up into the 50s, there's, like, two things that you need to know about Dayton basketball. Number one was that they were founded by Tom Blackburn, and him and Tom Frerichs were, like, visionaries for the program, right? Like, Tom Blackburn knew that basketball could succeed in Dayton, Ohio. Tom Frerichs knew that it was a moneymaker, and those two things together – are kind of the foundation, right? Because when you know that, hey, I think we can be good at this, and then you have a school that's like, hey, I think we can make money off of this, you know, guess what? That's the foundation of college athletics, right? So that's the one thing that you need to know. The second thing that you need to know is that Tom Blackburn hated the NCAA tournament, legitimately hated the NCAA tournament. And it it went all the way back to a a tournament in, I believe, in the 50s, um, when they went to uh, the old Chicago Stadium, they played Illinois in a, an NCAA tournament game, and, and Tom Blackburn just thought that, that UD got screwed by the refs, and they got screwed out 
of the tournament. And you hear it all the time from old guys that, like, the NIT used to be just as important as the NCAA tournament. And that's actually true. It really was. The NIT was just as important, if not more important, than the NCAA tournament because you had to be invited. So oftentimes it was good for business to invite the best teams. So then Dayton kind of had this reputation of going to the NIT and then at that time, you, you got to go play in Madison Square Garden, right? So that that was kind of cool because there's um, – if you guys go back in, like, the annals of, you know, Dayton Flyers lore on WHIO, there's, like, these really funny uh, videos. Drew's heard me, like, reference them on the podcast when they're, like – it's like a, like a TV advertisement for when Dayton went to the NIT, and it's, like – 1952, the Dayton boys take the court it's, at Madison Square. It's one of the funniest things. Like, <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I think I've ever I've ever seen. And, and the, yeah. like that voice that Sully just gave you is is a spot on recreation of it. Like yeah. I said, like Sully needs to work for like World War II in color or something like that because he's oh, got that voice that. like so down so pat. Yeah, <laughs> and, they're up to but, the knickers in pressure, full cost pressure. But and you're right, and like playing in Madison Square Garden was the biggest deal back then. Like that was the the one place that everybody knew about, like of where they wanted to play was Madison sure. Square Garden in New York City. So you had the iconic venue and the invitation status, and then you know eventually the NCAA became you know more than just an organization to protect amateur athletics. Uh, they became a money-making machine, and the NCAA tournament was, you know, as we know it, was then born. And obvi- obviously, it's evolved since this run because what you only had to win four games to get to the to get to the final. So it, it is interesting. You look back at you know old NCAA tournaments and you see how the tournament has evolved into the big spectacle that it is today. Yeah, and I love the teams that are in like the old tournaments you know you see like like western kentucky made a run it's like what the fuck like western kentucky like what was going on there that they were good at basketball yeah and and so that's what i always try to tell people when we we go down memory lane and we tell the story about um about the old times is just like dayton kind of screwed themselves in the 50s by having this prevalence towards the nit but it was only because they didn't have the foresight to see that the ncaa tournament was going to become what it is today and frankly no one really would have had that foresight um dayton made plenty of other missteps along the way but all that to say when don donaher took over um you know I, i think a lot of people that are close to the program know this, but like Donaher took over because Tom Blackburn had health issues. Um, the guy was like a heavy smoker, ended up getting cancer. He died fairly quickly after he got cancer. And so they needed to find a coach fairly quickly. And that's what happened. You know, Don Donaher took over. And, um, you know, Donaher himself will always say that he wasn't really prepared to be a coach when he took over. Um, he took over a really talented roster. He took over a program that kind of had an identity um, in the mid-60s there. And it was because of what Tom Blackburn built, right? So when Donaher took over, it, it was kind of just keeping the ship moving as opposed to, like, building something from the foundation up, which I, I've always thought is, is quite interesting because he's humble in saying that, like, he, he never really saw himself, like, leading this basketball program or, or being the coach for 25 years. And towards the end of his tenure, a lot of people in Dayton thought that he was kind of in over his head, you know, and, and that he never really achieved what a lot of people thought he could have. And, and that's kind of reflective in his resume, right? So it's funny because, like, you think about good coaches in professional sports, so many of them see 
success like right away and then struggle to get back to that level again. And this is kind of that story, right, Drew? Like yeah. Don Donner saw his highest success ever in like, what is his second year? I guess it was. And then never again. I don't know. I, I think it's a really interesting character arc for a guy that's so revered in, in our town. And I think it, it it shows the differences between how you operated as a college basketball program back then compared to today. Because if you look through like Donaher's, you know, his year by year results, like you get to year five and you're like, all right. Like back then, you know, they're just like, oh, he's a good coach. We're just going to hold on to him until we go down. But like in today's day and age, you get to season five of like those kind of results. And then all of a sudden, you know, the donors start whispering and, you know, myself and Sully start bitching on the podcast a little bit and you know maybe an article gets written or something. And all of a sudden, you know, you're out of a coach and then he goes and catches on somewhere else and, and has a lot of success. So it's just interesting. Again, I think a lot of, I think the theme of this, this podcast for me is going to be like the evolution of what basketball, what college basketball was like back in this day and age and comparing it to what it's like now and seeing the, not only the arc of Don Donaher, but the arc of college basketball as a whole. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and, and, and just like with our story specifically, like I kind of hate that we have to talk about it so much because it's kind of like who Dayton is, you know, we're like that. We were there once type of program, um, yeah. which like pisses me off to no end that like, we have to be that like, right. remember that one time, like that's the Dayton moniker. It should be like Dayton basketball. Do you remember that one time? That should be like our slogan as a program, oh, you know? <laughs> yeah, like you guys know how it is. It's like we're always kind of like a step away or like a buck short of like actually doing something that fucking matters. And and like this this is actually one of those stories that was kind of – it was kind of the exception to the rule, right? Um, and, and it happened in a very – like Drew just kind of described how like the evolution of college basketball kind of like changed – how we look at this run and like what this team did. But in the same token, Drew, I think it's like really safe to say that they made this final four run in kind of the same way that we made an elite eight run in 2014. And it speaks to like more of the nature of March madness and that Dayton was in an overtime game in their first game in the tournament in 67 and their third game. So at any of those points, if like a shot, doesn't go their way we're never talking about this season ever and Dayton's never been to a national title right so it's so fickle yeah and um I, I just I kind of find it interesting right is that oh my gosh college basketball has changed so much but yet the tournament is still as fickle as it was 40 years ago 50 years ago right right and in that same vein let's let's start discussing the the region hypothetical matchup because the hypothetical Dayton versus Toledo matchup in the elite eight would have been something else like I would have, I would pay good money to get into a time machine and then go to a multiple of where Dayton plays Toledo in that elite get eight in game. I don't know why, like just getting, being able to go back and look at all those things and like get this weird. And I, that's the thing. You look at this and you just see so many different possibilities. And you're right. This whole run could end to an overtime loss to Western Kentucky. And we never speak of this season ever again. Like that is a real thing. Like, that is a thing that could have happened. And it just goes to show just how fickle uh, college basketball truly is and was back then. Some of the questions that I have to ask myself, so, like, you know, you guys sent us, the like, the schedule. Like, I look at the schedule from a college basketball reference, 
And and these days, um, you know, guys get on planes, they go wherever the hell around the country they need to play basketball games. But I can't help but look at these schedules and think about like the travel that was involved in some of these games. So like, oh my god, <laughs> Friday, December thirtieth, nineteen sixty six, UD was playing a home tilt against New Mexico State. Like, what did they get on a fucking bus from Las Cruces? Like, why the hell are they? In <laughs> they had air travel. Like, they had commercial air travel in in '66. Come on, get the fuck out of here. Give civilization a little more State credit than that. Grew up from Las Cruces for an afternoon tilt with the Flyers. Get out I of mean, here. they're hey, they're they're riding on a on a plane with like four crying babies and somebody having their knees dug into the back of their seat, but they're flying all the same, swimming but in the smoke. Folk, they're not getting yeah. the. They're not getting the the chartered flights like they got nowadays. Yeah, they're flying commercial Pan American, dude, all the way. That ticket probably cost them ten bucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I just like I can't help but laugh at some of this shit. I'm just like, how the fuck did Eastern Kentucky like? How do we even get them on the schedule? Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, this season is kind of that's really emblematic of like so many Dayton seasons and. Um, what I mean by that is me and Drew like so rarely talk about individual games when the season's over. Right. And think about it, guys, like the 2020 season, like, you know, Dayton Flyers. Do you remember like what happened in the George Mason game? I bet you didn't. Like, I bet you couldn't tell me the score or anything like that. Right. And, nope, and nope, nope. my point, that's what I mean. Like, my point is that like individual games so rarely matter. And, but the context of the season matters, right? Like, it matters that, oh, I bet you guys remember that Dayton went on the road against Richmond and played in, like, a really raucous arena. Now, the score of that game didn't necessarily matter, but you remember that that was an important game and Dayton won it. Same thing in St. Louis. Like, the only reason you remember that game was because Dayton came from behind and hit a buzzer beater. But we don't really rem- – do you remember the game they played before St. Louis? Nope. Uh, no. 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 No, you don't. Of course you don't. Because those things don't matter. You know, when the season's over and done with, it doesn't matter. Like the context of the season is what matters. So I think we so silly. Are you are you trying to tell me that the first game of this season that's not pictured on the college basketball reference schedule because they're from a lower division? You're telling me the game against Baldwin Wallace doesn't matter yeah. that they were tied at <laughs> halftime? <laughs> Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, and like, right. we have a, Yeah, we have so many, so many examples of that. Like the Elite Eight year, um, that first game of the season when they beat IPFW. Right. A lot of people can't remember that they beat IPFW, but you remember that they wanted a buzzer beater, and it was only important because if they lose that game, in hindsight, now they don't get into the tournament. Right. So top ten funniest UD game of all time is that IPFW uh, game. <laughs> Hilarious! Like you go back and look at like just watch highlights of that game. It's astounding. Who hit the? It's astounding how funny that game. Is. The the uh, Cybert. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, was Cybert. Uh, the, and and the yeah the butterfly effect as far as like if we if we lost the, that game. the non Kyle Davis travel <laughs> Kyle Davis freshman Kyle Davis oh yeah four with like under five seconds to go completely travels before that <laughs> shot and they do not call it. Shout out to my guy yeah. Kyle by the way. My favorite flyers. Hell ever. yeah. Friend of the podcast. You know. Yeah, go, go <laughs> seek out his out. interview if you can. It's a great one. Yeah. So, so I mean, let's, uh, I want to dive into the schedule a little bit. Me and you, we love to talk scheduling. 
I want to talk into this. I want to dive into this 66-67 regular season schedule. So we open up with a familiar foe. The St. Louis yeah. Billikens. Were they the Billikens at this time? Have they always been the Billikens? They've always been yes. the Billikens. Okay, so the St. Louis Billikens, we open up with a, a two-point W on the road. That sounds familiar. We've done that before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I got the game circled where Sully start like is is about to jump off the ship, and I gotta I gotta rein him in on the pod <laughs> if this happens in sixty six sixty seven, and that's the loss at Niagara by six. Yeah. yeah, I have no frame of reference for how good Niagara was that season or wasn't, but that just has the feel of like me and Sully hopping on the the film like the film radio show back in 66, 67 and him just like wanting to get off the train, and I'm just trying <laughs> trying my hardest to keep him on. Keeping keeping them on the ship because brighter days are ahead. So, Sully, are there any games on this schedule that like stick out to you that you just want to make hasty generalizations on, like I just did? Yeah, I mean the, the Niagara game is great because that kind of like screams of me just like getting on the pod. It's it's perfect. It's a Tuesday night like eight thirty tip off, like yeah. coming off a a pretty like lively weekend against Miami of Ohio. Just reeks of a trap game. Yeah, and I'm, I just come on here and I'm just like the boys are better than that. They they were they overlooked Niagara. They were trying to get to the next game. They overlooked them, and I can't. They sure believe. did. They were they looking sure at did, but then they bounced back, and they beat them. You can't do that in February. Like yeah, I'd be like yelling and shit on the pod. Yeah, I miss those days, man. I'm actually kind of like longing for those days. Um, but yeah, they always played DePaul twice, and it was always like some of the biggest games of the year. And those games kind of jump off the page to me because when I look back at these old schedules, like the one thing that. I feel like older guys always hold over the head of the program and, and still kind of think it to this day is like, why doesn't Dayton play big programs? Because they used to, and I'm not calling DePaul a big program, but they used to be, you know, they used to be a really, really dominant program in the eighties. Um, but Drew, like my point is that when I look at these schedules, it, it kind of makes me sad because you get Xavier twice home and away, you get Cincinnati, you get Louisville, you get Marquette. It's kind of like, in the 60s and 70s, it's kind of all those things that old guys talk about to this day, being like, oh, I wish we still played those teams. And I see why they say those things because, man, like if we had a schedule that looked like this, like our season would just be so much different every year, you know? It, it sure would. And you, you are right. There is something to be said about that, how, you know, you look at the schedule, like having Louisville twice on the twice on the schedule in a season, that is unheard of in today's day and age. Um and they were they were the they were the shit back then. They were ranked three and two and two when we played them. Uh, Detroit Mercy being on here is is kind of funny to me. That's one that sticks out. Uh, East Carolina. So we so we beat East Carolina and Eastern Kentucky in the regular season, and then we beat North Carolina and Western Kentucky in the tournament. I don't know. That's just some some uh, serendipity there for you. Yeah, dude, and you know what I like about these games back in the day, like, when you look at these scores, is that, like, there's no rhyme or reason or, like, consistency as to, like, what the scores are. Like, you know, like, we we look at Ken Palm all the time, right? And you're like, okay, here's what the pace is of the offense. Here's how many shots they're going to average in a game. Like, you look down this schedule and they beat Eastern Kentucky, scored 104, then they lost to Louisville 66 to 50. <laughs> like, how do you, how do you go from scoring 100 points on Monday and then, a, uh, the next Tuesday you scored 49 against Cincinnati? Like, you're so, at the mercy of the style of play that you were up against that night. Because, you know, we're talking pre shot clock era, we're talking pre three point era. 
So, like, if a team just wanted to, like, go across half court and, like, literally sit on the ball, like, they could totally do that. They could just do nothing for a while. Like, and, and it's I think it's kind of funny to look at these games because Dayton used to be in track meets all the time because Donovan loved that kind of style. Like, he would stick with his guys, like, five or six dudes, and then you'd just be, like, run up and down the floor, get buckets as quickly as you can. And then, you know, guys like Don May, who started on the 67 team, if he knew he had one or two guys that could consistently score, he would just be like, fuck it, just give those guys the ball, which I super respect about Don Donner. Like, there was no, like, you know, analytics and strategy behind that shit. He was just like, oh, Don May can go for 30? Fucking give yeah, him the it's, ball. It's, it's, yeah, you know? the, the offense was like, get the ball to Don May and, and let the man work. The Don um, to Don connection. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Like, it is funny because yeah. you look at, like, you look at games that Dayton wins, like this, what, five-game stretch. Loyola, 100 points. Marquette, 95 points. New Mexico kind of takes a dip back, 74, but they win by almost 30. Harvard, 100. And then 75-72 against Xavier. Like, that stretch of offense, could you imagine just watching? I bet that I bet that Loyola game was was fun as hell to watch. To all the people who were lucky enough to be in, be in the building to watch that basketball game, you know what? For 1966-67 basketball, Beta was awesome. Alumni yeah. gym was rocking. Absolutely yeah. jumping. A regular a regular season sweep of Xavier. What we beat them? We beat them by four at home late February eighth, and then we beat them on the road January fourth uh, by three. So two very two very good games, very on brand for uh, a Dayton a typical Dayton Xavier game. Uh, I don't know what their like record was that year, or if they like made the NCAA tournament uh, that season. I don't. I, you know, I barely knew a lot of the context around the Dayton Flyers of this season. Let alone the Xavier. No, they were ass. Xavier was ass back then. Like that's what people always forget is that Dayton used to fucking own Xavier. Like so, it was a true. Out. It was a true throw the record books out situation for these games then because dude, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll even I'll give you one even better, dude. Like the first time Xavier was in the tournament was nineteen sixty one, right? The next time they made it was nineteen eighty three. Like they just they sucked ass. Like Pete Gillen kind of put them on the map in the eighties, you know. But I feel like guys our age kind of forget because we've been owned by Xavier since like what the eighties, the basically. That like Xavier used to suck. It used to be like a nothing program, you know. So yeah, we used to wipe the floor with them twice a year. Those days are long gone. Boy, what I give to go back to those days. I know. I know. Pete so Gillen yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a Dayton sweep of Xavier in the in the same year we went further in in the tournament than they ever have. So it's it's pretty much our ultimate trump card. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. I mean, you know, it's nice. Yeah, it's a nice feather in the cap. Something. It's something. Yeah, it's something. I guess so. Um, it wouldn't be a, a podcast with me if it if it wasn't trivia time. You know, I didn't have some trivia time for you, and uh, and sure enough, you know, this this podcast no different, Drew. Um, this I'm ready. schedule reminded me of Dayton's best record against any school of all time. And the school is on the schedule. And I've asked you this question before. It's like minimum 10 games, but UD has literally never lost to this school. You have asked me this before. I have. I don't have. Is it, uh, is it, it's not can, uh, Canisys, is it? Canisius it is not. Canisius? No. It's not. I, yeah. Not, yeah. Um, yeah. I liked it. <laughs> no, I, I definitely It was the first one that stuck out. Like, like, yeah, he'd be an asshole and make me pronounce this. Um, well, it's not yeah, going to be Niagara. 
considering no, yep. yeah well i can eliminate yeah i can eliminate niagara um can't be a loss is it detroit mercy no sir it's actually loyola louisiana <laughs> oh yeah there's <laughs> yep i right, gotcha yeah so you guys you guys think you have the facts but no 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 only only the best podcast host would know that Dayton's never lost a game to a team that's not even Division One anymore. Yeah, see, this is what you get. That's why you guys signed me up for this job. All right? Absolutely, that's right. That's um, we're not trying to take the crown. Yeah, no, no, it's it's fine. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, again, I I feel like I'm I'm kind of going back to the same broken record story. Is like the context of the season really is what matters. And, and Dayton was kind of a well-oiled machine at this point. Um, Donaher was in his third year. Um, and again, it was different back then because the freshmen couldn't play. So every year that you recruited guys, you kind of figure out like, worth it to stick around the program. And then if you couldn't cut on the freshman team, you were going to make varsity, which is so weird. Like Jalen Crutcher, like could play freshman year. And you're like, actually son, like you're going to be on the JV freshman squad for a year. Um, you, you know, like yeah, was, Zion not playing that. Like, yeah, Zion, you got to sit for a year. <laughs> Zion, <laughs> you're on the freshman team for a year, bro. <laughs> Anthony Davis. 40 like, and yeah, 20. We could win a national title. But yeah, you you gotta have to sit on the freshman team and get buckets for a year. You got you, you gotta earn the right to wear the the, the uniform. Forty five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, by the time that we got into this third season, um, you know, I think it's fair to say that expectations were high, but they weren't higher than they were the year before because Henry Finkel was an All-American for Dayton. He was like a seven-footer, which was super rare back then to have a seven-footer that could actually play ball and not look like George Mirasan. That joke's only for a few people. And so when they got into that third year, like the expectations, again, were, were kind of high, but I think people were pretty satisfied to you know get to the tournament year in, year out, and, and be a, a competitor. And, and Donahue had kind of taken them there, but I really, I don't, you know, it's funny, like, to tell the story now, because I, I want to sit here and be like, nobody thought they could get to the NCAA final. And I don't necessarily know that, you know, I don't, I don't know that people are like sitting around dating in the fucking coffee shop being like, I don't think these flyers are any good. You know, it's like the scene in major league, like these guys are shitty. And, and, and I, I don't know. So Drew, I, I guess I, I can, I can put a bow on that and just get to the NCAA tournament. Huh? Well, Probably. let's jump let's jump right into said NCAA tournament. How about that? So, uh, the NCAA tournament. So, it used to play the Friday Saturday that you would play. Outrageous right? that they make yeah, you play back to back. Like, I, I get weird. that it was like it was the like twenty years after World War II, so they were probably like we 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 stormed the beaches of Normandy. You can play two basketball games back to back, but that's outrageous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really silly. It is. It's super silly. I love looking at these stat lines in these older games, dude, because it's like Don May was the leading scorer and, like, also grabbed 20 rebounds. And the fact that, like, guys were even putting up 30 points with, like, no three-point line always, like, gives me chuckles. It's just, like, such a different game. It's And, like, to think about it, without a shot clock is like almost impossible right like why was the game tied at 62 like what the fuck were you doing without a shot clock you only scored 62 points you must have been fucking inept at scoring the basketball like what like I, I just i guess i don't understand how 
you end up at 60, like a total like 62. And we're talking about like the first game that they played against Western Kentucky. Dayton won it overtime 69-67. And and I feel like that's just like such a disgrace to either either put your foot down and score 100 points or like take the air out of the ball. Like 60 is a pop out, right? Like you couldn't decide what you wanted to be. You know what I mean? Like that, that game feels like it was a track meet that, like, they tried to make it a track meet that was in the 80s or 90s, but the ball just wasn't going in the hole that night. That's kind of, like, without knowing a single thing of context or looking at a box score, that's what I'm going to guess is what it was. Just <laughs> not shooting yeah. for both teams. Yeah, I'm actually impressed that you guys were able to come up with, like, highlights of each of these games. How the hell did you guys figure out, like, that some fucking guy named Haskins made a layup to tie the game. I'd say that takes this. some like newspaper archive digging to to get yeah. done. That is that is some a one preparation. Nineteen sixties Jablo writing a write up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. David Jablonski's grandfather was covering the team back then, and diligently, I might add, diligently. When you've got a name like Bobby Joe Hooper, there's got to be some smart advice. Tell you. me about it, dude. Oh, my God. That guy had a basketball game before, like, God Chan God, you know, like the good ones. Like, Bobby Joe Hooper, my God. Like, that guy is either running a racketeering ring or he's getting buckets, and there's no in-between, you know? It's one or the other. How about this? Yeah. I completely forgot that these were a thing. The third-place game. How crazy is that? Could you imagine that in today's day and age? Participation trophy Twitter would would riot if there was a third place game. <laughs> I think there were also like regional third place games as well. I don't think they're pictured, but oh yes, the, there that's is. I'm on like I'm on like the inter- they're spliced into better. the bracket at various. Oh points. my goodness, that's even better. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, what a what a time that this must have been to be alive. Also, you would hang that banner. The 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 great run from Pacific to get to the uh, to get to the Elite Eight before they were stalwarted by UCLA. <laughs> Wyoming losing by forty nine to UCLA in the first round. That's great. Just yeah, this tournament is awesome, and I want to know more. Like I want to. I wish I could go back and just watch all these games for all the context in the world. But going you back to. You don't though. You don't want to watch these games. Yeah, it's, like, that's definitely a one of those like sounds much better than it actually would be. I probably would get like ten minutes into the first game and just like have to set my TV on fire. All the play by play is done by Sully's World War Two voice. <laughs> yeah, no, they are too. Yeah, like if you look at um, there's a video on WHIO's like YouTube page about like the 1952 team, and they all are in that same fucking voice, you know. Aiden takes the lead late, and the boys are looking for one more basket. It's it's like it's incredible. It's always sped up too at like two times speed. Yeah, like why do people talk like that? Man? It's so weird. Um, as I'm looking through the tournament bracket for 1967, it, it's horribly absurd. Um, like, let's see, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams got buys, and then seven games had to be played as a play-in. Like, who the fuck made that? That's not even, like, a symmetrical bracket. Like, like they, we didn't know what logistics were back in 67. Like, it was just kind of a, all right, throw them here, throw them here, throw them here. UCLA, 
there, you're going to win it all. That's like, that's just how they operated. They just worked with, they just didn't make life easy on themselves. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like, can you play them next week? No. Okay. What about you? Okay. You can. Great. All right. You're yeah. playing. <laughs> you get a buy. Yeah. And here, here is uh, one of the playing games, New Mexico State. They were around. This is a theme, okay? I, I can't get away from this, but this New Mexico State team was, like, you know, very relevant in 1967. They, they traveled to the Frerich Center and got their ass kicked in December. But somehow, you know, miraculously, ended up making the tournament. So <laughs> I think we're telling the wrong story here, boys. I think we uncovered something far, far more interesting what the hell was going down in New Mexico State back then? I'm looking into it right now. <laughs> they were, they were deep. Know. They were they are just beginning the Lou Henson era. They were 15 and 11. They got in the tournament. <laughs> what? There's a lot of L's on this schedule, dude. Uh, I was going to strike the schedule. This strength could be like schedule. a like mafia involvement situation. Okay, here we go. This like that we can't rule that for. out. They were willing they to travel it. anywhere. That, that, that. They played a, a school called Hardin Simmons, okay? Mm-hmm. And the venue listed is the Lost Crusades High School Gym. That's some real good shit. Right there. <laughs> oh, how about this? They were the. How about this? They lose in the first round in '67. Yeah. Their next uh, three seasons: Sweet 16, Sweet 16, Final Four, 69, 27 and three, NCAA Final Four. How about this that? Is, now, maybe we should uh, rewind and say this is the story of the uh, beginning of the dynasty of the New Mexico State Aggies? Question mark. Aggie. I don't know if they were the Aggies back then, but they're the Aggies today. Uh, like, it's like, yeah. This, do you do you think New Mexico State's made a Final Four in, in their school's history? And you gave me like no minus five thousand, and yes, like plus ten thousand. Like, I probably would have taken no. <laughs> yeah, I've been like, yeah, no, wow. there's there's wow. zero chance. Super wild. Stuff. Do we need to become a New Mexico State podcast now too? So I mean, maybe, maybe, and and I do love the Lou Henson story where like he left New Mexico State in 1975, and then he went back in 1997. Like he took a lifetime off, and I was like, hey, no, fuck it, I'll go back. Um, <laughs> we, we got we did get Coach off track. 2004. Yeah, you know, like he's recent, you know, like dude took over like the same year as Don Donner and he was coaching to like the 2000s, you know, <laughs> like coach, woof, he coached the Aggies until being sidelined by non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Jesus. 2004-2005 season. Literally coached <laughs> till he made pass away. What a legend. Lou Henson. Man. Shout out to, shout out to him. He made it to 2020. That's impressive. Good. Even even more shout good for him. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Shout How out, about that, shout Lou out Henson. New Mexico State. Shout out Lou Henson. Um, all right. So where we left off was was them going to to Evanston, Illinois. Um, they played at Northwestern. Um, so the stuff off the top of my head before you guys, I, I have to flex my my Dayton muscles a little bit here. So I knew they beat Tennessee in a one point game, and then they beat Virginia Tech in an overtime game. These are both on the campus of Northwestern. And, and again, same thing, like two-point game in OT against Western Kentucky in the first round. Next weekend, a one-point game against Tennessee. They win by five, go to OT against Virginia Tech. This is back-to-back weekends. So it's funny, again, because 
at any point, this this run could have been sidelined by any number of things. You guys know how fickle it is, and we talk about this all the time with 2014. That you know the Aaron Kraft shot, like that goes in. Never talk about that season again, right? Tyler Ennis pulls up from like 40 feet, that goes in. You're never really talking about that season again, right? There's all those little things that kind of happen. If if Kansas doesn't lose to Stanford, we're probably not talking about that season in the same light as we are, you know, today. And and this this season was no different. You know, you squeak by Western Kentucky, you squeak by Tennessee, you squeak by Virginia Tech. And so the real story, you know, of this weekend was was Don Donaher. Um, you know, he always tells it uh, that Tom Frerichs, the athletic director at the time, was like super wasted at their like post game party when they beat Virginia Tech. It was Saturday night in Chicago. They stayed up in Evanston, I believe. And um, he said, you know, Don Donaher and Tom Frerichs were getting after it, like getting drinks. And the way that it was told is is that that was kind of the night that they saw what the potential was for the program, you know. And, and I guess it kind of felt hyperbolic in the moment. But it really wasn't, right? Like, those had the vision and then actually executed on that vision. And they just kind of – all the stars aligned at the right time, right? Like, they yep. kind of thought, hey, I bet if we build a bigger arena, a lot of people are going to show up. And then Dayton got good. And then they kind of had this sample set to look back on and say, you know what? We actually were right. And so as the story goes, they're at this, this party and they're drunk and, and Donner said that they just built UD Arena, you know, with that win against Virginia Tech and we're going to the final four. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if that is a hyperbolic story by Don Donaher, but it, it is a hell of a story, whether it's true or not. Um, he might have embellished a little bit of it since it was about 50 years ago, but at the same time. Um, <laughs> hey, you might as well. Of, History's I mean, written by the victor. That's that's what I mean, man. It's one of those stories that kind of aligns, right? Like two years later, or I guess eighteen months later, December '69, they broke ground on UD Arena, and um, and you know we kind of had this basketball like dynasty, or not dynasty, because I guess dynasties win a whole lot more than Dayton Hoops has, but um, you know they kind of had this foundation, and I think without without those wins getting to the Final Four. You know, Drew, I think it's fair to say we don't have that same foundation, right? Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it jump-started the Dayton program as we know it today. And to kind of bring it all back full circle of what we talked about is a lot here is is the evolution of of college basketball and Dayton as a program. And it was it was the first small step for – well, I guess it was a giant step. You know, you make Final Four. But it was the first step towards becoming what Dayton – was going to become and would we like to have, you know, had a little bit more on that journey, of course, but you know, history's not all written yet and we we've got uh, plenty of future to look forward to. But you're right, a couple things go differently and who knows if the Dayton basketball program is uh what it is today. Yeah. And uh I remember this this story now from uh I can't remember where the hell it hey Jeremy must have got at this from, from something that we both like listened to over the past years, but it kind of went back to the same thing we talked about Virginia Tech game in OT and Donna, her story there was like, if we're going to go down, like we're going to go down with the same fucking five guys that we've been rolling out all season. He's like, get it to Don May, you know? And that was like, that was how the team was like Donna was like that his whole career. You know, if he had 12 guys on his roster, like he still used five. If he had 15 guys on his roster, he used five. Like he had five guys, 
maybe one guy off the bench. And that was kind of how he played it. Um, and this season was no different. And I think like the reason that they were successful in 1967 is kind of the same reasons that they weren't successful later on is that, you know, Donahue was quite rigid with the way that he coached and the way that he was going to play. And he didn't really change his style as much later on in his career. But again, because he was a young coach, he was in year three, wasn't as much tape out on him. You couldn't really watch that many highlights before you went into games. So there wasn't as much scouting that went on. Um, you know, I think that was kind of one of the things that propelled Dayton in 67 was that if you just had one or two guys that were better than the other team's one or two guys, that was pretty much all it took in those days, right? Like, that was just how, like, dudes were. Like I said, they made you play back-to-back games in the biggest tournament of the season. Like they didn't, they right. they said fuck your feelings. Um, well, underrated part of the the partying in Chicago story is that uh, Don Don Donaher indirectly coined the term lit because he said it was uh, it was lit like a Christmas tree. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Sixty in sixty six or sixty seven rather. Don Donaher accidentally coins the term lit about fifty years before it becomes an actual like. I'm pretty sure it's in Urban Dictionary. It might even be in the Webster Dictionary now. Yeah, wouldn't surprise. I hope, I hope they cite Don Donaher. People forget. We should do. You know, that should be like our new thing this year. Is it, it should be like it's lit, like as a quote, and then just like attribute it to Don Donaher, like it was his quote. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we could definitely get people to believe that Don Donaher like coined the phrase "this is lit." I think. I'm looking at the evidence right in front of me. I know. I know. It's right there in black and white. We're Clearly, got to be true. Here. Read it on the internet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so then, uh, the, like the last part of the story here, I guess in the, the 67 seasons, you know, you go to the final four. Um, if you're walking up to the flight deck in UD arena, actually, there is a picture. I still, I still think it's up picture on the wall of the team getting off the bus in Louisville at freedom hall, 1967. Um, which always looks so funny because the guys, you guys ever look at like old pictures of dudes that are very young, but they look very old. Like you ever seen a picture of like high school football players in like 1977? They all look like they're in their mid fifties and they all have like beards and shit. And it looks like they have like multiple children. It's kind of the same way. Like there's these guys in suits getting off the bus for the Dayton program. And they all kind of look like they're 40 years old in like a weird could have been way. Working on, could have been working on Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I digress. Um, so the the story of the the final four was that Dayton was a, an underdog to North Carolina, uh, coached by Dean Smith. I don't actually remember what year Dean Smith was in at that juncture. Drew, do you have? I can you find that out call? pretty quickly. I'm you kinda, can just yeah, guess. We're, we're about facts. I know, but we're about facts here. You know, hey, you guys are really rewriting the history. I'm going to say he took the job in 63. Okay, well, I got you now because I'm all over it. But this was was his sixth, seventh season. Yeah, so he was kind of on some – yeah, his sixth season. So he was on some Krzyzewski shit. Like, it took him a while to kind of get to be what he was. Um, But Dean Smith's in his sixth year. You know, his established coach. Donaher is kind of a nobody that took over for Tom Blackburn, and here they are. Dayton's a heavy underdog, and – of course, you know, the story is that they won the game. Um, and, and then they you know, wanted to play the final. And it, it, I think the most interesting thing when I retell this story to people is that 
now that it's over 50 years later and it's kind of like this romanticized tale of Dayton making a run, um, they weren't supposed to get past North Carolina, <laughs> but they got their, they got their asses kicked like thoroughly by UCLA. And Donahue even says to this day that the final score of the game was 79-64, but that actually kind of makes it sound closer than it actually was. Like, the game was never close at any point. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I don't think the full game film is available anywhere. Um, but the game was truly never close. I mean, I think the, the score to start was like 20 to 5 or 20 to 6 or something 20, like that. I looked, it was 20 um, to 4 midway through the first half. Oh, my gosh. So, Drew, let's walk through this real quick. Like, let's say Dayton makes a run. You know, let, let's do this. 2020 team. Obi Toppin, they make a run to the final, right? Uh, um, let's say they play. Let's say they play Virginia because they could suffocate you. Let's say they play Virginia in the 2020 final, and it's rocking, it's rolling. Me and you are in fucking San Antonio or Indianapolis, whatever. We're ten beers deep. We're like, yeah, the Flyers are the final. And then they come out, and it's twenty to four, and you know there's no fucking chance we're gonna win the game. What's going through your mind at that under eight timeout as me and you are just like sitting in the stands? What do you think? Demons. Demons. Whole, <laughs> I think I'm torn. Demons. Because you know what? If we're playing Virginia, they're like they're the kind of team where I can like talk myself and it's like, yeah, but like if we're hot, if we're hot on offense, like they can't score. And that's the one inaccuracy of the story is that like Virginia would be up twenty to four. It's like, no, they'd be up like twelve to four, but it would feel like twenty to four. Like, just yeah. with how they're playing defense against us. But the thing about it is, is that, like, any team that you – like, you to put the 2020 Dayton Flyers up against in that season, like, probably – like, the highest underdog we probably would have been was probably, like, a five- or six-point underdog. Dayton in this game was probably a 15-point a underdog. Like, I would be very interested to go back and see what the actual, like, betting line on this game was. I'm willing yeah. – I would wager a hefty amount that it was f- greater than 15. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. I kind of want to know how you would figure out what betting lines were in those days. Um, I think but, you'd have to talk to, like, Tony uh, from the Malarati family who was running the book. It's like somebody from Philadelphia knows that for some reason. I don't know why. It just it feels like it would be that way. Um, Jeremy actually included something in, in the notes for the North Carolina game that I thought was really funny. And it's like so Dayton. I see so many of these things these years. Like these days. I know what's going to be. Is it the chant? So, it's the chant, dude. It's the chant. Like Dayton's winning a semifinal game against North Carolina in the semifinals. And Flyer fans are chanting, we're number one. Like, that's the most Dayton <laughs> shit ever. Like, we've won nothing. We're going to the final to actually win something. And Flyer fans have already decided, they predetermined that we're number one. And already see our fans. I mean, we, we just did that. We didn't even play yeah. the tournament. And we're like, oh, we're the national champions. Like, no, we're not, you fuckers. We, so we, we would have won 2020 NCAA tournament shirts. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah, I read that and I was like, God, it's got to be the most fucking. Or how about the uh, the banner that a group in the stands held? Who needs Cinder? We've got Glinder. That's the biggest. Uh, yeah. A defensive specialist. That's the biggest crime with fourteen points. 
Like that's the big biggest crime of this entire situation. It's not the Channing were number one after like not even playing the clear team who was number one. It's that we we had a bander that was poking literally you could argue the greatest basketball player, especially in college, like of all time in Luau Center, <laughs> obviously now known as Kareem Abdul Jabbar. But like imagine like Kareem's just like sitting there in the in the in the in the tunnel, like waiting to go out and play and he sees that banner and he's just like, Oh, it's like, all right, well, we're playing them tomorrow. It's like, I'm going to give them 30, like 30 and 15, no problem. It's like, why would you Why would you do that? <laughs> Dayton um, also has the rare distinction of getting owned by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Luau Cinder so hard, like getting owned up and down the court for 40 minutes that they outlawed the dunk for a period of time. You know, that, that actually is a distinction our program holds and yeah. did hold for quite some time until they let the dunk back in our, our fair game. But um, – Hey, I mean, it'd be like that sometimes, fellas. It really be like that. Like, I think if you were to summarize, like, what is Dayton basketball all about? I think this is kind of really the story to, to point to. It's like we had this great run. It was super magical. Everybody thought we were number one, but we really weren't. And then we just got pummeled into submission by someone who was actually the best. But our fans kind of went on thinking we were the best anyway. You know, like the, I think that Drew. Am I wrong? I think that's kind of summary. No, of you're like, you're you're spot football. on. You are one hundred percent spot on. Uh, another uh, underrated moment. Uh, some other just tidbits from the final. Uh, Don May misses his first eight field goal attempts. That's a tough scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh my god! Uh, John Wooden. Let's, taking... let's think of a let's think of a word. Drew, let's think of a world right here where like Dayton goes to the second round in 2020 and Jalen Crutcher misses, misses like his first eight shots and they lose and I'm just like ready to burn it down. Yeah. <laughs> or Obi. Yeah. It's <laughs> all the, all right. All my hypothetical memories from the 2020 season are good ones. And Sully's just out here trying to introduce the bad ones. Get out of here. You devil. I was, um, just, I was just trying to think about hypotheticals. Could, that's all. John Wooden taking out his starters with five minutes to go in a national championship game. Unreal flex. Oh my god! <laughs> Unreal flex. Getting getting your starters, getting Luau Cinder that nice ovation from your from your supporting crowd with five minutes to go in the national championship game. That's incredible. Hey, that's to go, and he's and he's got twenty and eighteen. <laughs> that's how we got to a respectable fifteen point deficit. I'm willing to bet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it was a twenty nine at one point. There you go. Uh, John John Wooden yeah. had the under. On that, sure did. That spread that fifteen sure point spread. He was trying to get it close. Seventy nine sixty four final score, and that I think is a good uh, to put a bow on the the sixty six sixty seven Dayton Flyers basketball season. Are there any other small things or other tidbits that you wanted to uh, discuss here, Sully? I guess to bookend the entire thing, like like. The important thing about that season was that it was the catalyst that got the arena built, and the arena was the catalyst to push Dayton to the program that they are today. You know what I mean? Like, you can't have one without the other. And so I think that's why the season is looked upon with such reverence from people like us, is that you don't have the 67 final, you don't get enough university support to build the arena, and then where is Dayton? We're maybe still playing in a field house. Maybe we have a small arena on campus. You know, so that reverence kind of comes from the fact that people kind of recognize it was the catalyst for, for what we have today. I think we started there, and, you know, I think it's worth ending there as well. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, uh, you know, if that didn't happen, we'd be playing in the caffeinasium these days, and I, I think we all wouldn't like that. 
Oh, give yeah, the field house a little bit of credit. It's way better than the caffeine. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, at least you're like on top of the guys. There we go. I can, I can, watch a game. I can never get on the microphone without taking at least one dig at BCU. So there you go. I've hit my quota. <laughs> but for people that don't, I mean, us not going to the NIT kind of set us, or the NCAA, it kind of set us back as a program for the next few decades for a multitude of reasons. Um, but again, like Donaher being such a young coach and taking Dayton to the promised land, he kind of bought himself the the tenure and the respect that he kind of carried through the rest of his time. You know, without this run, let's say it ends in the first round or even the second round, like I don't think Donaher stays as long. And that could have been a great thing for the program or a bad thing. But I always kind of, kind of do like to, to reminisce about this story a little bit because it does give guys our age the chance to kind of think, man, what would that week be like if Dayton was going to the Final Four? You know, what would that Monday be like when the Flyers are about to play that weekend in the Final Four, wherever it was, right? What would that Saturday night be like after they won the, the Final Four game? They're going to the national championship. I think that's the fun part because, like I said to you guys when we started, the individual games don't don't really matter at the end of the season. Um, I couldn't tell you half of the results when I was on campus and I was at the games for all of them. But, you know, the big moments always matter. The big games matter. The big results matter. And, and when I talk with guys that have played for our program and come back and talk to us on our podcast, like, we talk about their careers, but then at the end of the day, like when Kyle Davis was on with us, Drew, right? We talked about his career for maybe, what, an hour, hour and a half. How much did we talk about the NCAA tournament games? Like 60 minutes of that hour and a half? Yeah, I mean, probably. That's the story, right? Yeah. Like, and I think that's a long way to tell you guys and all the listeners that, like, we do follow these programs for six months a year. And me and Drew do rapid reactions. And, oh, my God, they look like shit against St. Louis, but they pulled out a win. And, oh, man, how they lose to Fordham. And it's like – these games are kind of fodder because at the end of the day, when you look back and you have hindsight for these seasons, you're going to end up talking about the big moments. Jalen Crutcher hitting a shot at the buzzer at St. Louis. You're going to talk about Aaron Kraft missing a shot in the NCAA tournament. Like your careers in the season, they're always going to boil down to like a couple of games. And I think that's the thing that makes college basketball suck, but also like inherently beautiful at the same time is like, because it comes down to a couple extremely fragile moments they either go in your favor or you're just any other team that no one really talks about again and you know thankfully at this part of history we have something to talk about but oh christ it could be a long time before we talk about something like this again so i don't know i think that was like my final thoughts drew i think i was i'm really i'm back into the flow of this thing it seems yep i guess if you want to if you want to know our, our further thoughts uh, on the upcoming Dayton basketball season, you'll just have to subscribe to Talking Out Loud. Come join yeah. us on uh, on our own home turf. Wear red, be loud. Those are the only two rules we have on the podcast. Um, but it, this has been tremendously fun. Uh, it was fun to go back and you know learn a little bit. Uh, you know, have some some genuine discussion about you know the evolution of the program and the evolution of college basketball as a whole, and also to make some funny jokes and generalizations about 1966 and 67 basketball because that's just something I enjoy doing. So I want to thank you guys for having not just me but Soleon as well to uh, help navigate you through uh, this exciting Dayton season for all of our grandfathers. Yes, Go Fires. Go Fires. Go Fires.
there you have it. That is the story. And these are the college basketball stories. Was it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the CBB Stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. Um, we'll get you out of here on this. Drew, earlier you referenced kind of the top 10 funniest games of UD basketball history when referencing that that buzzer beater against Fort Wayne. Uh, give us a couple games that would make that list or, you know, just give us your number one if you can think of it. Okay, so um, the funniest for you too. The funniest UD game I've ever I've ever been to was we were playing Temple. I can't remember the exact year, but it was when Khalif Wyatt was on the team. Hmm. Oh, this is the missed free throws game, dude? Uh, yes, it's the missed free throws game. Oh, and but the story that I have is that I was, I was actually in the student section for this. And I was with my older brother, Dan, who some of the guys on here know. And somebody in the student section said something to Khalif Wyatt. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what was said. But Khalif Wyatt turned around, looked dead, like looked this dude dead in the eyes, and was like, "I'm about to like send everyone here home crying." Like that was his exact quote: "I'm going to send everyone here home crying." And sure enough, I think he had 28, like 26 or 28 points in like the second half, and Dayton misses like 10 free throws in the last two minutes to lose the game. So that was one. Um, who was the bald guy from Rhode Island? Sully, can you help me out here? The, the, the bald white kid from Rhode Island where the student section about, was like um, – He was a really Jimmy good shooter. He, he buried the bu- the buzzer reader against us the one year. You're talking about Jimmy Barron? Was it Barron? I can't remember. Oh, no. You're talking about uh, – is that Thor McGlynn? Is that that yes. guy, a white kid? Yes, him. He, he came – Rhode Island came to UD Arena. They were not very okay. good. And he was like one for 11 in the game, like one for 11. And he buries like the most ridiculous corner three to, to win at in overtime. As you can tell, a lot of the, like the funniest UD games of all time are, are typically like tragic in like in ending because like they're games where you just kind of have to laugh. The Fordham one from this past season is one where you just kind of (laughs) like, yeah, man, I don't know what the, what the hell that was, but uh, I can laugh now. I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of one now. that was really funny. Then. That... <laughs> surely, surely you weren't. Um, I'm trying to think of one where like Dayton, where Dayton won the uh, the St. Louis game against uh, in the 2020 season was great because I was uh, with a bunch of St. Louis people, so that was like they thought they were going to take down Dayton and Jalen Crutcher just snatches their their soul that was awesome uh that was a funny one those are the ones that like really really stick out in my mind and then whenever like some podunk division two team rolls into the arena and we just beat them by 100 those are too yeah um trying to think like 
So we're talking about like funny occurrences, right? Um, yeah, so uh, Fordham, it's always funny against Fordham, I feel like, but um, I, I want to say this is like my sophomore, yeah, I, I, my sophomore year, I believe. I, I'm pulling up the sports reference now. Um, Dayton was playing a home game against Fordham. I remember it was a weeknight. I remember for some reason I had a bunch of homework to do that night. The game anyway, I played for my And okay, I'm I'm learning now that this was my junior year. So we're talking about 2011. Fordham came to the arena. Maybe that was it. Man, now I'm having a lot of trouble. Anyways, Fordham came to the arena. They sucked like they always do. Fucking Fordham. Ah, here it is. Wednesday, January 14th, 2009. Dayton Fordham at the arena. Uh, Dayton squandered like a 10 point lead in like the last two minutes. And Fordham was up with, like, four seconds to go, and Dayton had to inbound the ball. And Rob Lowry took the ball coast-to-coast to to win the game 72-71. But that was actually the closest that we came to losing to Fordham until this past season, which is why that game sticks out. Um, The other one that I have, I just have the two, because you guys were talking funny, and I I just got them too – I'm too serious about Dayton sometimes to, like, be like, oh, 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 we lost another one. Um – the game this would have been yeah, yeah this would have been uh 2009 against charlotte it, it was definitely against charlotte uh i want to say 2009 or 2010 i'm going back and forth on these schedules so i can get it right oh yeah here it is february 10th 2010 so uh, Dayton was actually doing pretty well at this point in the season. They were 17 and six. The wheels fell off. They ended up 19 and 11, and they missed the tournament completely. Um, but going into that game, they had just kicked Xavier's ass at the arena. They were number one in the A10. They beat Xavier 90 to 65. I don't even remember the second half of that game because I was so wasted. Um, I just you know sophomore year of college, you haven't quite learned how to drink yet, right? And oh yeah, yeah. So I remember that, that Wednesday game. night. That guy was blacked out at that game, too. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, God, I think we were saying brothers. Trevor. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. So I remember um, by sophomore year, I had tickets in, like, the third row or second second row. Yeah, we are in the second row. So you guys kind of know, like, the, the Spike Lee-Reggie Miller thing where, like, you're a part of the game when you get down low that low yeah. you know because the guys can hear you like if you want to talk some shit like they're going to hear you and a lot of times they're going to chirp back right so we were kind of feeling ourselves we're like man we're looking good we're going back to the tournament you know we had only lost one player from the tournament team before charlotte comes in they were first in the division at that time in the a10 i think they were like six and oh or six and one they hadn't played anybody yet but they come to they come into the arena and Judy just whomped them it was like the final score was 75-47, right? So we're in the second row, and we always pick one guy each night we were going to heckle. Like, whatever. It was like his jersey number was oh, stupid, yeah. or he looked dumb, or he was like the white kid. We're like, we we're going to pick this fucking guy, and we're just going to nail on him all night. So we'd always be like, yo, you suck. And we would just say it, like, over and over. We'd be like, hey, 30, you suck, dude. Like, dude, 30. No, 30, listen, bro, you suck. Dude, like we would just do that the whole game, like ten of us, right? So you'd have to hear like ten other places, like, dude, thirty, you're fucking terrible. Whole game. <laughs> sure enough, this guy from Charlotte, they're getting killed by Dayton, and he fouls out, right? He started to walk over to the bench, and you guys know the bench at UD Arena is right in front of the student section. 
And this guy sits down and was one more. Dude, I was like, you fouled out, bro. You suck. And the, he looked right over at me, looked at looked me dead in the eyes, and he just goes, yeah, bro, I suck. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. Well, I can't top that. Uh, so. <laughs> no, it was fun, man. Those were the days. Uh, uh, I went to this place called Maple and Ash. Yeah, um, great spot. Yeah, yeah. So if anybody's like been in Chicago and knows like bougie restaurants around, like it's it's up there. Like I don't think I myself would go there because I'm all about like value and quality. Like there's great quality restaurants like the one I went to that don't charge you like seventy dollars a plate. You know what I mean? So I like to find the middle ground. That's who I am. That's where all the Bulls players go. Yeah, there actually was a couple of Bears players there when I was walking out. Um okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, it was, I was a man about town tonight, you know, and that's what it's, that's what it's all about is like being seen as a man about town. So that's how it is, fellas. A public figure, like such a man of the people, you gotta, you gotta be seen. Yeah. 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 The Dane basketball blogger, you know, you gotta, (laughs) you gotta be out there. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, you guys I think, would actually I think be the Bears, surprised. I think the Bears players were, were texting their teammates. Yo, I, I just I think I just saw Sully. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, isn't that that guy that talks shit on the Dayton basketball team like half the year? And and you guys, I told you in that text message, like you're seeing now why I can only have a podcast for like half the year because I'm like entirely unavailable, or I like I make it seem that way for the other six months. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because I like to tune off. Like I'm actually kind of liking this because it's like my training wheels are, are back on a little bit and I'm getting the rust off because I haven't had an episode since like March. And, you know, well, there you go. That's, that's flexibility, gentlemen. I really yeah, is. Is a, uh, that. Yeah. True. You know, this is like Dayton playing McNeese State before the season starts. You're just getting warmed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. Like the McDonald's All-Stars used to come in. Do you guys remember those games? Like before they had shitty, like, Capital University? Yeah. Those are the days, man. Those are the fucking days. Virginia days. Military Institute. VMI. Yeah. VMI, if anyone maybe. was curious, my five-star dinner tonight was from Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. boy. <laughs> obligatory we must ask what is yeah what is order? the order oh two cheesy gordita crunches and a chicken quesadilla order of nachos and oh, cheese man what a that's good funny. order that's a good order that's a good order i take my taco bell as serious as sully took his filet mignon it's it's i love the concept and when you're ready to discuss the the significant seven of the the 2014 2015 dayton flyers you give me a call because if you want, yeah. you want some nitty gritty boots on the ground detail about that season. I got you. Except for UDS, that's, that's about the only UDS. Oh yeah, I saw one of those pictures get taken live. Ooh, that was my senior year of high school, and I'm from Sydney, Ohio. So beautiful Sydney. I drove. Yeah, yeah. Here it's lovely this time of year. Um, so I drove, uh, I drove down to to UD, like parked my car on the far side, and just like went and party. Nowhere to sleep. Like didn't tell anybody I was coming. I was like, "Fuck it, I'll just pass out on some random stranger's couch," which is exactly what happened. Yeah. And but I was walking, I was walking down the street, and I just see this flash of this girl like standing on one of the so- like the levels on the side of a uh, key favor. With just with her pants pulled down and a UD on her ass. I was like, huh, that's wild. And then I looked at like, and then the next day I looked on my phone and I saw that picture. And I was like, huh, that is, that not, last night was awesome, dude. <laughs> it's like, 
Hmm, I think I'll go here. I'm going. Well, I was like, I was already going there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, let's, let's get a little sneak peek here. We just we just made the the fucking elite eight. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. How about? I mean, that just had to like. How did that? Did that fuck with your expectations of the basketball team at all? No, because I've been going to Dayton basketball games since I was like an infant. Yeah. So I've seen it all. Yeah. You know to expect the heart heartbreak. Yeah, I know that that's not something, but. It was one of the things that, like, I had to fight with countless people in my class who came in and were, like, yeah, they expected exactly. us to go right back to the Elite Eight the following year. I'm like, I mean, yeah, it'd be sweet, dude, but we had, like, two of our big men robbed a couple of our classmates, and now we only have seven people. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. <laughs>